Hey, hey, and welcome to episode 160 here on the Yours Truly podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about ways to create a healthy relationship with both food and your body so that you can live a life free from dieting, disordered eating, all of the above. If you are new around here, my name is Claire Tuning. I am your host, of course, if you didn't guess that already. I'm also a registered dietitian and a certified intuitive eating counselor, lover of all things, food puns, peanut butter and jelly, If I'm being honest, the only food that I genuinely don't like is an avocado. I hope you can forgive me. I know that's a hot take, but uh, you will not catch me with a green slime ball at any time. Anyways, I digress. (laughs) Today, I have another incredible guest interview to share with you. It's actually one that I recorded before the turn of the new year, but I think it is a super appropriate topic for this time of year when there is a lot of dieting and weight loss talk swirling all about. It's just in the air this time of year. And oftentimes it's presented in a way that makes us believe that the dieting, the weight loss, manipulating our bodies in some way, shape, or form are going to be the secrets or the keys to unlocking better body image, improved self-esteem, feeling better about oneself. But today's guests and I are here to talk through some other tools and some other approaches that you might find more effective in the long run for your relationship with your body, body image, and even food. But before we get into all of that, before I introduce today's guest to you, we're going to take a couple of moments, as we usually do in the intro of an episode, to check in with our Yours Truly Goalslayer featured post of the week. So this post, let me find it on my computer here, comes from a member who I have seen in the community for quite some time now, and it is a really thoughtful post. It's not really a question as much as it is a thought about how long some individuals live with thoughts of dieting, weight loss, etc. So it reads, Hi all, I've been working hard to embrace intuitive eating and body neutrality, for the past year. For my whole life, my grandmother has been obsessed with dieting, buying diet pills, cookbooks, scales, etc. Since starting my journey, I find it really hard to be around my grandmother. She's almost 90 years old and is constantly talking about a new diet and subscribes to magazines that are filled with dieting info. She's done a diet where all she's eaten for several days was just cabbage soup. And she also asks me all the time if I'm on a diet or if I'm gaining or losing weight. I just can't stop thinking about how sad it is that at this point in her life, she is still obsessed with dieting and losing weight. I have no issue telling her that I have no interest, but it's just hard to accept that it's so deeply ingrained for her. Uh, A commenter Another member of our community replied to this post saying, I don't know if it will help, but when I interact with family like that, I try to remind myself why I'm doing what I'm doing because I don't want to be 90 and look back at how many years I spent hating my body. So I just wanted to read that post. I don't have a whole lot to add to that, but one thing that I will say is a a thought or a topic that my clients and I 
discuss a lot in our one-on-one calls and sessions is kind of this idea of the why, right? Why did you want to get away from dieting in the first place? What got you interested in intuitive eating? Why are you here listening to this podcast and working so hard to heal your relationship with food? And of course, All of my clients have a lot of different whys and intentions and motivations in doing this work, but a common theme amongst a lot of them is they look to older family members or loved ones who grew up in different generations and they see how deeply ingrained some of this stuff is in those loved ones. And they know for themselves that when they reach whatever age, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. Ooh, look at that. I can count. (laughs) But when they reach all of those ages, they know that they don't want to have to look back and only remember parts of their lives when they were dieting, or they don't want to have to remember social events and how stressed out they felt around the food or how they feared an impending binge, but they really want to be able to look back and remember joyous occasions around food and being able to nourish their bodies without fear. And if they have children, if they're ever wanting to have children in the first place, or even if they have just young ones in general in their life, they want to be able to provide a more positive example around food and body image so that they can put a stop to dieting, body hatred, body shaming for generations to come. So I don't know if any of this resonates with you, but it resonated with me when I read that. Thank you to this community member for sharing these thoughts. And um, that's all. That is all I have to say. So if you would like to join our community, I plug this in every episode, but if you're not already hanging out with us in our free private Facebook community, you can learn more about the community and apply to join at clairetuning.com community. When you go to the link there on that page, there is an application. It's pretty brief, but I'll just request that you fill out the questions there so that my team and I can learn more about you you can learn our community guidelines and what we're all about and then when you submit that we will be back to you as soon as possible by accepting your request into the community so I hope to see you there very soon today's episode of the podcast is an interview with my friend and colleague Eleanor Clark A little bit about Eleanor here before we dig in. She is an eating disorder therapist who used to work in a higher level of care setting, but she has recently made the transition to her very own outpatient private practice. The topics of many of her sessions with patients and clients include things like intuitive eating, body image, specifically body neutrality, as we'll talk about today, and distress tolerance, as well as mindfulness skills. She's in the process of writing a book about body neutrality as an alternative to body positivity titled Body Neutrality, Finding Acceptance and Liberation in a Body-Focused Culture. This book will be published by Rutledge, I think is how you pronounce that, in December of 2022, so in a little less than a year from now. Besides clinical things, Eleanor loves to move her body by gardening in the spring and summer and walking and running when the weather is beautiful. She has been married for a few years, and in that time, she and her husband have rescued a dog named Speck and a cat named Hermione. 
In this conversation that you're about to hear, Eleanor and I talk about how eating disorders are what she calls illegitimate solutions to legitimate problems, as well as talking about what body neutrality is and how it can be a really powerful tool in finding more peace in your relationships with both food and body. And on that note, let's go ahead and dive in. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Eleanor Clark. Hi, Eleanor. Welcome to the Yours Julie podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited that you are here. And like I told you before we hit record, I've been following your content on social for a while. So it's so fun for me, selfishly, to get to meet the the human behind the content. And hopefully it's fun for our (laughs) listeners too. But uh, before we officially get into things, I have some this or that questions if you're open to playing a little game. Definitely. Okay, first one. This one is very important to me. Uh, crunchy or smooth peanut butter? Uh, definitely smooth. Mm. Definitely smooth. Yeah, we... I think it complements the jelly better. Okay, we're gonna have to agree to disagree on that. You know, <laughs> I, I, part of me wants to end this interview right now. No, just kidding. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> I know that's really important to you, and I, I hear that. I don't hate crunchy peanut butter, but I love smooth peanut butter. So it is a strong preference of mine. Okay, we're uh we're lucky that one of the main themes of this podcast is respecting our food preferences. So if that is your preference, I will respect it. Next question, not food related, but appropriate to this time of year we are living in. Do you prefer fall or spring? Definitely fall, which is interesting because I love gardening. Uh-huh. Uh, so I do love spring. I love spring very much, but I think fall is so beautiful. And I love going leaf peeping in the Midwest. That's something we love to do is go on drives. So fall definitely has a preference over spring, but spring has its own excitements that I love as well. That was a very well-rounded answer. <laughs> I'm with you. The I call them the transitional seasons. So fall and spring, they're both my favorites, but fall takes first place every time. Well, and it mm. has like the excitement of holidays coming. So I think there's also an anticipation in fall you know, so it all around love fall. Yeah. The, you're right. The anticipation that comes with fall is kind of unmatched by any other season, other than I guess when, when you're growing up and when you're younger and you have the anticipation of summer break, that was always fun. Sure. Sure. But that yeah. disappears in adulthood. It's not as fun because you still have to work and yes. like you're a teacher. So it, yeah, fall, fall has more anticipation because I do get more days off around the holidays. So now it's kind of switched, I guess. (laughs) Totally. Uh, Next one, phone call or text? Definitely text. I, I feel like I have more willingness to talk on the phone than most people in my generation. Uh, And I still prefer text. It's easier for me to not feel anxious. So I prefer text messages. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like for me personally, it kind of depends on the goal of the interaction, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So if I'm trying to make plans really quickly or have like a conversation where I'm catching up with someone, I prefer Mm -hmm. phone. But if you're just kind of, I don't know, lobbing things back and forth and you're just trying to have some banter or you're telling someone you're on your way, I definitely prefer text too. Sure. And I, I mean, I talk to my mom on the phone, if not every day, almost every day. So I think phone calls have their place, 
Uh, but unless it's like my mom, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to want to text you. <laughs> Noted. If I have any questions, I'm editing this episode. I will get your phone number and shoot you a text. <laughs> uh, okay. Two final ones I have for you. This next one is a phone one, but more social media oriented. Do you prefer Instagram or TikTok? Oh, Instagram, Instagram. I also feel like Instagram is like becoming kind of TikTok-ish. It's like you kind of get the benefits of both. Yeah. With the reels and everything. Yeah, don't even worry. Instagram just like steals the ideas of other social media platforms. Like, it's, like Snapchat. It stole the stories from yeah. Snapchat. It stole the reels from TikTok. 100%. But, um, but I don't know. Again, it's kind of like the phone versus text conversation. I feel like sure. all of the different social platforms have have their place. <laughs> sure. I will say most of the time when someone is sending me something really funny, they're sending it on TikTok. So it has yes. its place. It definitely does. And I get lost in TikTok way worse than I get lost in Instagram. Uh, but I still, overall, I do prefer Instagram. I love Instagram. Same. Yeah. About getting lost on TikTok. I have to be really mindful about when I'm <laughs> opening the app, uh, especially if it's like after working hours when I'm not yeah. creating anything because the potential to get sucked in is very, very real. And uh, 100% agree. Final one. Do you prefer group hangouts or one-on-one mm-hmm. hangouts? Group, definitely group. I love group hangouts and that's not to say I don't like individual hangouts, but I love when there's multiple people. Cause I feel like you laugh more. It's like you laugh more in a group than you do with an individual. So I prefer groups. Definitely. Yeah. Especially if it can be a group of people who like you're pretty close with, and it's not like this sure. huge, like I'm walking around with 30 people, but like right. small groups. Right. Yeah. Like I'm thinking like three to five people. That's mm-hmm. my, that's my prime. I love that. Yeah, especially after the past nearly two years that we've yeah. all lived through when we've been yeah. deprived, for lack of a better term, of social interaction, sure. it's nice to be able to hang out with some small groups again. Absolutely yeah. agree. Absolutely agree. I think we we didn't know we were taking it for granted. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Well, that was fun. A little bit of this or that. Thanks for playing with me. And as we kind of get into the bulk of our interview here, I feel like we have to start out by asking you about who you are and what you do, especially for anyone who is listening, who isn't yet familiar with you. So take it away. Yeah, sure. So my name is Eleanor Clark, and I am an eating disorder therapist in the Midwest, specifically in the Indianapolis, Indiana area. For the past like four years, I've been working in inpatient residential Um, eating disorder treatment as well, I guess in college, I started as kind of a technician, we call them recovery care specialists. I did that for a few years. And then while I was in graduate school, got to do some group therapy at the same place, which was incredible and great experience. Um, And then as soon as I finished my master's in clinical mental health counseling became uh, one of the therapists here. So I've done that for about a year and a half now. And I'm getting ready to make the transition into outpatient eating disorder therapy work, um, which I'm really excited about and sad because it's transition and changes are scary. Uh, but I'm really excited about this transition. And I don't exactly know what to expect about the next phase, but I know that I love working with eating disorders and body image. That is my bread and butter. Love it. And I can imagine too, especially since you've been in that specific 
style of treatment, if you will. It'll be mm. interesting to still be helping that population and, and individuals on a personal level, but kind of from a different angle or from a different lens. So I, I, I am by no means a therapist, but I do work with humans recovering from <laughs> eating and dieting mm-hmm. in an outpatient setting from a, a private practice standpoint. And I love it. And I'm very hopeful that you will as well. So I'm getting so much positive feedback about it. Everyone says it's great. So I'm hoping that that's my experience too. Yeah. So at the the end of our conversation, we'll have to tell people where they can find you so they can follow along with this uh, transition (laughs) in your career. But speaking of following along with you. One of the the first things that I noticed when we first connected on social is if anyone goes to your feed, you have a lot of really great posts, but you have this pattern of posting with, do you call them a bitmoji? Is that what they're called? <laughs> yeah, I love bitmojis. Everyone makes fun of it. I love bitmojis so much. So yes, yeah. they're in half of my posts. Yeah. (laughs) That was like one of the first things that I noticed when I went to your profile, because I at least don't see that a lot. And I thought it was such a fun way to talk about some of these topics that can feel heavy at times or Mm -hmm. a little bit scary to be showing this fun bitmoji with all of these kind of cartoonish (laughs) features. So again, we'll we'll tell people where where to find that. But one of those posts that I read, and I believe you posted this about a month ago, it was sometime back in October, but the, the wording that you had on this post was eating disorders are an illegitimate solution to legitimate problems. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, I love that quote because uh, my supervisor here is actually the one that introduced me to that quote. She uses it with uh, clients all the time. Um, And I think it's just a very simple statement that kind of captures what a lot of people don't know about eating disorders, which is that they're not necessarily about food, you know, they manifest with food and exercise and body image, but they're not necessarily about any of those things. They typically start accidentally or doing something most Americans do, which is dieting. Um, So they might be doing something that in their mind is just a, a very normal activity that most people do. And then it becomes this miserable, life changing illness. Um, And a lot of people get confused. Well, how can some people get to that level and some people don't. And I think what typically is the, the reason is there's something else going on that the eating disorder is treating. And so that legitimate problem could be something like a parent's divorce or your own divorce or a breakup or going through a a change such as going to college or switching schools. You know, it can be something very small or very big, but it's considered a problem by you enough that something else feels like a solution. However, when we use uh, disordered eating to treat a problem like that, we might get some relief in that we have a distraction or we feel a sense of control by engaging in that behavior, but it's not going to solve the problem. It's not going to meet my emotional needs the way that learning how to regulate my emotions and tolerate stress will, Um, but it might meet it just enough that we think we're actually doing some good. And that's where we get into a cycle of not being able to break out of the the restricting, binging, purging cycle. Uh, So that's what I mean when I say there's a legitimate problem, but the eating disorder is not necessarily the solution to that problem the way it might feel like it is when you're actively in it. 
Yeah, that's a really um, interesting and compassionate maybe way of, of mm. looking at that to say, hey, these behaviors that you are engaging in, you're doing so for a reason to meet some type of need, right? These yeah. aren't here for no reason or to serve no purpose. Right. They're here right. as a coping skill, as a behavior, whatever yeah. you want to call it. And at the same time, it's also recognizing when maybe that's not the most supportive way to meet yeah. those needs, to meet those legitimate right. needs. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm shocked, honestly, by how many clients come here and they're at this level of care, you know, we're at a pretty high level of care. I'm surprised by how many people get here and don't realize that there might be something else going on other than I hate my body or food scares me. You know, they might think that's the root issue. Why, why am I so weird that food makes me anxious or I'm constantly disliking the way that I look? That might be not the real problem. And that can be really surprising to people. So I think it's something that we don't necessarily, I think, I think social media is actually helping a lot people understand what's under eating disorders, but I think we're still pretty far from people understanding what eating disorders are actually about. Yeah. And I feel like that can be a really important part of the healing process as well, being able to acknowledge that even though this is manifesting in a way where food and body image concerns are at the forefront, it's not just about the food or it's not just about the body, yeah. like the acknowledgement yeah. and the awareness of that. Yeah. Again, like that like validation. yeah. Yeah. An important part of the, the healing process. And you brought up something there related to body and body image concerns and something else that you talk about a lot on your feed and in your social media content is this idea of body neutrality. And Mm -hmm. this is a topic that I have talked about here on the podcast, both solo and with a couple of other guests as well. But this is a topic that I find everyone has a slightly different definition of it. So yeah, (laughs) you were talking about body neutrality in your content, or if you talk about it with patients or clients, what is your definition of that? I love that question. So I consider body neutrality an alternative to body positivity. And it's a way to see who you are and your life as more than your body altogether. So my issue with body positivity, and honestly, the issue I was seeing with a lot of my clients is that when we tell you your body's beautiful, no matter what, all bodies are beautiful. And we emphasize the attractiveness of your body um, in its size, whatever we're still telling you that there's a major value in what your body looks like. And that alone can be very reinforcing of the exact things that drive someone toward an eating disorder. So rather than here's why your body is beautiful and gorgeous, instead looking at the functionality of a body and why do I have a body and looking at it as where I live rather than who I am and valuing what your body can do rather than putting your value in the way that it looks. Um, And I think one of the, one of the books that I think best, talks about this concept right now is the more than a body book by Lindsay and Lexi Kite. Um, They did an amazing job uh, explaining how when we just emphasize specifically for women, um, the way that your body looks, and trying to build up someone's confidence by expressing how beautiful or positive their body is, we're still telling them how important it is to look a certain way. So body neutrality kind of steps out of that and says, how about instead we say that you don't necessarily have to love the way your body looks to respect it and accept it as it is. 
And how about we look at our lives as more than our bodies and emphasize those things more than we emphasize your body altogether. I'm so glad I asked you to define what you mean when you say that, because your definition there definitely had some different aspects than some other definitions that that people have shared on the show. And I'm wondering with what you just shared and saying that it can be an alternative to body positivity or focusing on the function rather than the form, do you find, I have definitely found this with my own clients in conversations about body neutrality, but something they often say is this feels a lot more accessible and realistic than just being told love yourself no matter what. Like, do you feel that that comes up as well in your interactions with people? Yes. I've had so many clients that will say, Hey, body neutrality and intuitive eating. Those are the things that are getting me to recovery. Those are the things that feel um, reachable. And there's, there's some goals in there. So instead of thinking that I have to love my body in order to have a better relationship with it, I can actually just kind of look at it as a thing I live in and move on is pretty freeing because honestly, and this is probably true for a lot of your clients as well. Like when I have a client start a relationship with them, their body image is like in the toilet. It's terrible. It's not any, it's, it's like beyond negative. You know, it's, it's like a, I can hardly tolerate living in this body. That's where most of them are at. So I hate even saying negative because it's like so far even beyond negative. So to say, I'm going to, we're going to work toward loving your body that doesn't even feel like an option. And sometimes clients have never been in a place of even feeling neutral toward their body. They've always hated it, or they've always learned things about their bodies that are bad. So they've now developed a lot of evidence for the narrative that my body is terrible. So it's going to take a long time to get to a place where not just loving their bodies, but just being able to tolerate their body and accept it where it is, is going to be a major goal. So working toward that place of, Hey, what if I don't have to love or hate my body? What if it's just a neutral item that I live in and I'm going to love and respect it because it's great and deserving of respect as it is. I'm going to draw my mic on the floor. That was, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> um, and, and something that is, is coming to my mind I'm thinking maybe some of our listeners are thinking this as well when they hear your definition and you're describing what an important part of the healing process this can be. They're probably like nodding their head being like, yeah, makes sense. And at the same time, a question that I often get from clients, again, when we're talking about this idea of body neutrality is what does this actually look and or sound like? in daily life, right? I think there's kind of a a difference between understanding why something is helpful or how it could be impactful versus, well, how do I actually implement this in an interaction that I'm having or body language conversation? So yeah, I would love if you're willing to offer an example or two, how to kind of start with this idea of body neutrality. Yeah, that's a great question. And and one that a lot of clients ask you like, okay, sounds great. Um, and I'm still hate my body. So what do I do? Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of start with like noticing and having a mindfulness about the thoughts that you're having. A lot of us are so uh, like into our negative thoughts that we kind of feel like we're drowning in them all the time. We don't necessarily notice when we're trashing our bodies or saying negative thoughts about about our bodies and our heads to others, whatever. And I mean, I know even for me, when I was first starting to um, improve my body image, 
I started becoming more aware of how often I was negative about it to others too. Like the, the words coming out of my mouth, the thoughts crossing my brain, they were all very negative. So starting from just developing a sense of awareness, not even necessarily changing what you're saying or thinking, but just becoming aware of the things you're thinking and saying, then you can start becoming aware of how often they are negative. Um, we kind of here, we, we use like an example of if you're scrolling through social media, you might focus on one thing or you might scroll past something. That's going to be the thing that you remember when you get off your phone. So thinking about what thoughts am I focusing on? Which ones am I scrolling past? And you're probably scrolling past things that don't fit your narrative of the way that you see yourself. So if I see myself as an ugly person, I'm going to find a lot of evidence to support that. Oh, like she didn't wave back at me because I'm ugly or they didn't want me to come because I'm ugly. Versus if I instead choose a different narrative so to live my day based on such as like, I'm a kind person, people do love me, then I'm probably going to find evidence for that narrative. So looking at the narratives that you're believing and what evidence you're finding to support that. So I start by just that mindfulness, become mindful of what you're saying and thinking. And then of course, behaviors are important. Like how often are you on your phone? And what are you looking at on your phone? I know that I set. we were just talking about <laughs> social media, I set timers um, for my social media apps, which is actually something a client taught me to do. And I thought it was a great great piece of advice because it made me aware of how much time I was spending on social media and what am I looking at on social media because we forget how much control we have mm -hmm. over the things that we're seeing on social media there are some things we can't you know just like there are thoughts that pop up in our brains that we didn't necessarily want to pop up we can however curate and see what I'm exposing myself to that's going to educate my thoughts so if there's someone's profile that I'm constantly looking at to compare myself to that person or uh, to see what they're doing to look like that so that I can do that, that's probably going to be uh, influencing those things that I'm thinking and doing. So instead, I'm going to make sure that I'm looking at things that are making me feel confident and respected in my body rather than things that make me want to change it. Um, similarly, how often am I going to the mirror just for the sake of looking at myself and body checking? You know, sometimes people don't even realize how many body checking behaviors they engage in, that it's not just going to into the mirror and obsessing on their appearance. It can be how many times am I looking down at my legs? How many times am I wrapping my fingers around a certain part of my body or staring at it or looking through pictures of myself? We spend a lot of time body checking in a, in a culture where most of our life is on our phone and is documented in pictures now. So we might spend a lot of time doing that. And that's not necessarily very helpful in improving our body image. So Reducing the emphasis that we place on our bodies is another way to get out of the trap of being obsessively enslaved to the way that it looks. So the two practical things, they, they, sound, they sound like overwhelming, but increasing the amount of mindfulness you have towards your thoughts and then curating an environment where you're influencing yourself in a more positive way that leads to de-emphasizing um, your focus on appearance. I really love to that analogy that you gave in the, the first part of your answer about the scrolling on social media, mm -hmm. right? Some post you look at and you read fully and other ones you just scroll past and you don't pay right. attention to. I've never heard anyone make the parallel between viewing oh, yeah. the same way. Like, which I know, ones... but I think like, I mean, it's such a good one too, because uh -huh. your, your brain is a much more advanced, um, what is it like it has more advanced algorithms 
than Instagram would. Like, you know, it notices what you're looking at and what you're scrolling past. Your brain does too. It notices when I'm spending more time thinking about something versus when I, I kind of just let that go. It's not important. So for clients that walk into a restaurant and they realize the first thing they do is start looking at calories on a menu. And they're like, why do I do that? I want to stop doing that. Well, they may not even notice they're doing it because your brain has learned that this is important. When we walk in, we have to do this. So in order to break that habit, you have to start becoming very aware of what you're even focusing on in much the same way that we do that with Instagram. And that's why another practical thing to do on Instagram is if something's not serving you, unfollow it and scroll past it because then you're Mm -hmm. telling the algorithm, I don't want to see that content. Yeah. The algorithm of our brains versus the algorithm of social media. They can both be very powerful, but I'm gonna, Absolutely. You, you've given me something to think about with that analogy. I'm going to, I'm going to sit on that one for a while. I might repurpose it Love in it. session and, and credit you there. Um, but one, one final thing here on, on body neutrality, and then we'll plug where people can find you and get in contact mm-hmm. with this content we've been talking about, mm-hmm. but one of those bitmoji posts, I'm going to come back to that, um, you shared a while back was talking about body neutral affirmations. And the mm-hmm. one that you had on this post was, and I quote, my body is the vehicle that carries me mm-hmm. through life. And appropriately mm-hmm. so your bitmoji was sitting in a red car or something like that in a vehicle. I'm wondering, and I'm, I'm kind of putting you a little bit on the spot here, but I'm thinking you might have some of these queued up since this is what you do every day, but could you maybe oh, yeah. offer our listeners any other examples or ideas of what some of these body neutral affirmations could sound like? Absolutely. And I love talking about body neutral affirmations. I think they're so much more powerful than positive affirmations because Uh body neutral affirmations are not necessarily subjective. They're usually truth. Um, And when I say truth, like I might be able to say, I think you're beautiful. And that could be a truth for me. But the fact that I live in my body is not debatable. I do. So Mm -hmm. it's some, it's a truth. It's a fact that I can fall back on that whether I'm in a really irrational state of mind or a very rational state of mind, I can say that is true. (laughs) So when you think of what is a body neutral affirmation, they have to be true, um, whether or not you're feeling rational or irrational toward yourself. So the one of my, my body is a vehicle that carries me through life. I love that one because it's a great one that de-emphasizes the importance of my body. It is not who I am. It holds who I am, which is actually another one. My body is not who I am. It holds who I am. I love um, that one. Are, yeah. I love that one too. It's so, and it's, again, it is, it is a truth. Um, another one is my thighs are the size they're supposed to be today. <laughs> uh, my stomach is the size it's supposed to be today. Clothes are made to fit my body. My body is not made to fit clothes. Um, oh, one that a client uses all the time over here is uh, I'm thankful that my body carried me on a walk today and she'll, she'll substitute that for whatever she's thankful for that her body did today. My body allows me to take my dog on walks. It allows me to play fetch with my dog, you know, things like that. So things that are true, things that take out the uh, irrational parts of the negative things that we say about ourselves that we can fall back on, whether we are in a great body, body day or in a bad body day, these are true every day. So that's a body neutral statement. I think too, um, how you describe them, just truths about your body, mm-hmm. that 
instruction can maybe help people brainstorm some that feel fitting for their own life. Just what is something that we can't really argue with. It just is when it comes yeah, to Yeah, exactly. You can't argue with me about that. Like if, I don't know if you've ever like tried to give someone a compliment, like, I just think you're so beautiful or I love the way that looks on you. And they instantly kind of come back with, oh my gosh, this looks terrible. I look terrible today. Well, these are things that are like, no, this is true. Like this is my size or thigh size and my clothes are made to fit my body. And I can let go of beliefs I have about my body that were maybe learned in unfair situations or from traumatizing situations. These are truths, no matter what. You, you speak in, in such a way, like I'm entranced when you speak, I'm like, wow, <laughs> therapist <words. laughs> in such a good way. Such a good way. I, um, I have so enjoyed everything that we've, we've covered so far, specifically your definition of body neutrality, these affirmations that we've been talking about before, again, we plug where people can find you. Is there anything else that you feel inclined to add as we bring this conversation to a close? I want to be sure that we've been as thorough as possible. (laughs) Yeah. I think, um, something that if someone wants to know, like my best advice for eating disorder recovery or improving their body image, the two things I'm going to suggest every time are intuitive eating and learning how to see your body as, um, not the most important part of your life. So, um, exploring, uh, content like a media that supports those two things and being able to create an environment for yourself where it's, it's easier to heal, um, than it may have been for you in the past. That would be my suggestion. Yeah. Intuitive eating, body neutrality. Intuitive eating (laughs) and body neutrality. That's what you go to. Yeah. And surrounding yourself with information and professionals who can help you learn more about those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if anyone is listening and they're thinking, I have got to see these Bitmoji posts, or I would love (laughs) to hear more about body neutrality. I know Mm -hmm. you as well are in the process of writing a book, correct? So if you want to find out more about you or how to get in contact with you, where is the best place for them to do that? So like I said, I love Instagram. My Instagram is where I live. So I am the handle Eleanor Clark underscore LMHCA. And that's where I'll post about where you can get the book, which should be done next December. It's called Body Neutrality, Finding Acceptance and Liberation in a Body-Focused World. And yeah, it should be it should be in all places that sell stores next December. And I will talk more about that on my Instagram. So if you have any questions about it, want to learn more about it, that is where you will do that. And we also will be sure to link your Instagram in the show notes. So people don't have to remember the handle. They can just go click and follow <laughs> from there. But Eleanor, wonderful. it has been so wonderful getting to chat with you, talk about your content, body neutrality, and all of the above. And I hope whoever is listening and has made it to the end got a lot of value from this conversation. But that is all we have for our listening friends today. So we will sign off by saying yours truly, Claire and Eleanor. 
And that's a wrap for episode 160 here on the Yours Truly podcast. A big thank you again to Eleanor Clark for joining me on today's episode and a special thank you as well to you who are listening. If you enjoyed anything that Eleanor and I talked about on today's episode, it would mean the world to both of us, especially me, if you could tap those five stars and maybe even leave a review if you feel so inclined and you have the time. Your support and offering positive ratings are the best way to help the show grow and for me to keep bringing episodes to your device every week. As always, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Stay safe out there and we'll talk soon.